I can see it in their faces when they come in. You see, this weekend they spent too much money. They partied too much at the Super Bowl and probably went to some establishments they shouldn't have gone to and they have overdrafted their checking account. Tomorrow I'll probably see somewhat in excess of $1,000 in overdraft fees from this weekend just for my branch alone. Last year, the Smyrna branch at AmSouth Bank made over $83,000 in nine months on overdraft fees alone. Uh, yes, that's right, $83,000, just one branch made that alone. You see, we live in a world and a society that teaches money is everything. We live in a world and a society where money is our measure of success. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight, that is not the case. Money is not our measure of success. And working at a bank and in the bank environment and others here work in the financial world, you've seen some of the same things that I've seen. And it's sick. You know, I've never heard too many lessons preached along the subject of what the Bible has to say about how we spend our money. What the Bible has to say about how we use our money. You see, there's three types of people that... Or that I would like to consider tonight, really. There's the people who live within their means. There's the people who live below their means. There's the people who live above their means. And then there's the people who have the money, live within their means when they have the money, but boy, if they lose any of that income, their lifestyle has just gotten shot. No savings. I have a client right now who's a doctor, 73-year-old, has no retirement whatsoever, makes over $270,000 a year. It is unbelievable how people spend their money. Smart people spend their money. People who are educated spend their money. It's just unbelievable, the things that you see every day. What saddens me the most about what I do, and I'm actually glad and happy to do what I do, because I get to help Christians. Twice a month, on average over the last 12 months, a Christian from somewhere in the country has called me. It's someone that I've known, that has known my family, that was referred to me from someone who's known me or known my family, and they've had a problem with finance. You see, they got the little plastic card out of too much and got in trouble because they spent too much money. Now, I know you're asking yourself, what does this have to do with the church? So, you know, we really don't see that in the church as much when we hear a preacher preach on this. You know, he's very general, uses very general terms to, you know, be a good steward with your money and things of that nature. Well, yeah, you see, the problem is, is preachers and, and, and people in the church don't always see the things that we can see in the financial world. But I tell you what, you don't have to open your eyes too much to see that in the church we have a problem sometimes living within our means and spending money. You see, 98% of Americans 18 years and older have credit cards. And the ones who are using, and, and the majority of those people have a lot of credit card debt. I could guarantee you that I could, I could ask you what the average credit card debt that a person holds would be, and you wouldn't guess. You would say 2000 3000 I'm going to say it's over $10,000. And, 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 and it's, it is just sickening how that happens. And that creeps into the church. It creeps into God's people. Back in October, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and our fall focus. And tonight, I want to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and see what the Bible has to say about being a good steward with our money. So we'll turn with Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your, will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You ask me who that passage particularly is talking to, and you would say the rich. I want to tell you it's talking to everybody. Because, see, unfortunately, the uh, minority in the country sets the standard sometimes for the majority. That happens with everything. If you go to the banks today, you'll see the Patriot Act is wide. You've been with your bank 30 years, 20 years. What do you got to show when you go to that teller? You got to show your ID. I've seen you all the time. You've seen me come in here, you might say to that teller. I know, Mr. Miss So-and-so, but I've got to see it. Why is that? It's because the minority of problems in America has set the rule for the majority. And it's the same way with money. Unfortunately, those who have a lot of things, who have thingitis, as I call it, they just want things. And they go and collect things. And they have the money to get things. It makes it a lot more appealing for us to want more things and to get more things. And thus the world comes into our lives and we'll do sometimes whatever it takes to get those things. If you don't think this is creeping into the church, brothers and sisters, look at our contribution. Look at our contribution. Look at the contributions of the church worldwide. What is the number one expense in, 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 at a congregation? What's the number one expense? Please do not say the preacher because it's the building a lot of times. And part of the reason is that we can't support preachers a lot of times is because of, the, because of this lack of stewardship we have with our money. Unfortunately, that is a big problem we have in the church. It happens everywhere in, in America, unfortunately. But it is a huge problem. And it's because that majority of the people and the, the world sets the standard out here and we want to follow the standard. We want to be like the world. And so we want to lay treasures up on earth. We want to have that boat. We want to have those nice cars. We want to have that awesome house. And so we'll do anything it takes to get what we need. That's unfortunate, isn't it? That's unfortunate. Let's read on in Matthew 6. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit of, of I'm sorry, a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself with one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? O men of little faith, do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is tackling a little bit of a different problem. This is tackling those who do not have as much. 
This is tackling those people who need more, who are needy. And the Bible says don't worry about those things. As long as you're doing your part, the Lord will provide. The Bible says he that does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. Therefore, we have to work. We have to provide for our own. But when money becomes the object of what we're working for, we have a serious problem. We have a serious problem. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Stop there. I have known a ton of gospel preachers throughout my my short life. And I've heard of a ton of gospel preachers quit preaching and go work. And before you know it, these gospel preachers and other Christians alike will get carried away and they'll actually start missing church for money. They're not missing church to provide for their own. They're missing church and worshiping with the Lord's people and worshiping God to store up riches on earth. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immorality and dwells in unapproachable life, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich, in this present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now here, Paul instructs Timothy to instruct those who do have money to do what they need to do with that. I mentioned just a few minutes ago in the, in, the, in the United States, the number one expense for most church churches and most congregations is the building. Turn with me to Acts. To Acts chapter 4. In verse 32. It says, in the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And Joseph, a Levite, a supreme birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and, the mo- and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I think our elders would roll over and I almost passed out. Some of them may have a heart attack if somebody actually uh, sold a tract of land and laid it at their feet to help teach the gospel. To use that money to help go and, and support a preacher or to help go and support our local work and the things we're doing, I think they would probably pass out. I think Phil Barnes might have a heart attack back there. I don't know. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Now, I'm not saying that if you own a track of land, you need to go sell it and bring it necessarily. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that those who have more have a greater responsibility because the Lord has blessed them with more. That's where you become a five-talent person instead of a two-talent. You've, you've been promoted up in the world. You've become a five-talent and not a two-talent. Generosity is part of being a good steward with your money. It amazes me how much money there is in the church. But it amazes me how many letters are sent out on a monthly basis from preachers begging for support. I would dare say, and I haven't talked, spoken with the elders about this, but I would dare say they probably get three or four months that's a pretty conservative number right there. Other congregations get that at my end. Is, is that about right? Three or four months. And we have to turn those people away sometimes. A lot of times, most of the time. You see, the way we spend our money, although we don't know everybody's personal situation, God knows. As Edwin said in his sermon several months back, if you want to know where your priorities are, look at your check register. Look at your Visa card statements every month and see where your money is being spent, where your borrowed money is being spent. I've done a lot of study over this in the last four or five months, and I've actually got a series of sermons that I've started to develop. You're getting an overview basically tonight of this. But I've gotten some statistics together from some people in the church. Brother Harold Comer has done some statistics, uh, statistical things he preaches in Birmingham. And uh, I am in the process of getting some things from him. I've got to contact him again and get some stuff. But, but it is amazing to me the calls and the things that I hear from my brothers and sisters in Christ when they call and ask me a question. Talking to Don Miller. Don Miller is a senior vice president of Bank Independent in Florence, Alabama. His son and I grew up together, we're really good friends. And I asked Don, I said, Don, how many people come that are Christians come and see you with financial problems and financial burdens? And and, and he said, Wow, it's overwhelming. I get at least two a week. Well, I'm young in my career. I get two a month, so I'm pretty young in my career. But but Don gets at least two a week, and that's just amazing to me. Just amazing to me. 
How many people do that? Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage on their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being abhorred by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. And this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I think you get the picture. And it's amazing to me, still, how we can read these passages and go over them and ignore them and ignore them. And in the last few passages, it talked about the rich man. I want to look at the first part of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 here in just a second. And talk about those of us middle class people, lower class people, who may be living out of our means. About three months ago, a good friend of mine called me. He's in his mid-30s, and he's going to graduate school to get his Ph.D., going back to get his Ph.D. so he can teach at the college level again. He said, Wiley, he said, I want to ask your advice on something. He said, I want to uh, know if you know anything about consolidation companies and what you can tell me about debt consolidation companies. I said, I don't like them. He said, well, why not? Kind of got a little frustrated with me for, for me saying that. I said, well, I said, look, look at what they do. I said, you've made a promise to a credit card company that you're going to pay us some of the money, and what this consolidation company will do is it'll go and it'll bargain for you and say, hey, I tell you what, he owes 20000 but we can pay you 13000 and that'll settle the deal, right? Therefore, there's $7,000 that you profited from that you're asking him to forgive you. Now, it's not wrong to, for somebody to forgive you of your debt. That's not what I'm saying. But I told him what, what they do, and he said, yeah, that's, that's right. That's what they do. And I said, do you, do you see a problem with that? No, I don't. You know, I got in trouble with some debt. They're going to help me take care of it and clear it up. Well, and sisters, I have a problem with that. And I'm just and if you've done this before, there's nothing wrong with asking somebody to forgive you of your debt. That's not what I'm saying. This is what I have a problem with. Read, read with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4. 
The Bible says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let's talk about that for just a second. When we, when, we, when we talk about being a good steward with our money, we make vows, and a lot of times we can't pay it. And this brother's instance, he had his mind already made up. So he called me back about a week later, and I asked him, I said, now, wait a second. I said, do you have your, I said, do you really want my help, or do you already have your mind made up? And I said, you need to think about that. You need to call me back next week. I don't want to help you this week. And he thought about it, and he wanted my help. And so we, we talked about it and looked at there's uh, the other ways and other options for him to do things. But the point is this. It's not necessarily asking for someone to forgive your debt that's wrong. What's wrong is the activity that got you there in the first place. It's called being a good steward with what God has given you. And God has given us all abilities. That's what the parable of the talents is truly about. It's about an owner of slaves giving and trusting them with talents, which was a sum of money, Matthew 25, verse 14, and letting them go and do with those talents and make better investing those, putting their time in those, things of that nature. That's what the parable of talents is all about. But the idea there is being a good steward with what God has given you, whether it be your personal abilities, whether it be your money. God wants us to be good stewards with what, he has, with what He has given us. Our sole purpose on earth is not to work for money. Our sole purpose on earth is to work for God. And yes, we do have to provide for our own. But when money becomes the object of why we're living, woe be to us. I've heard a Christian say that success was based on, and he said it, didn't say it in these exact words, but this is what he meant. He said success is based upon how much money you make. I disagree. Because brothers and sisters, when I get to heaven, I've been successful. When I get to heaven... I've been successful. And it doesn't matter how much money I have on this earth because I can't take a penny with me. The Bible teaches that we need to be good stewards with our money. Tonight, this is just kind of an overview of some of the things that I've studied, some passages I wanted to read, some thoughts I wanted to present. The blessing is now yours. Before we end the lesson, I want to ask you a question. And I mean this. I want you to think deeply about where your priorities are. Because I haven't talked to anyone in this audience about money before. Nobody's called me asking for help in this audience. I was glad I could talk about it because sometimes in some of the audiences I've been in, I haven't been always been able to talk about it because people might think I'm singling them out. But if it happens at the other congregations that I've been a part of, I'm sure it happens here. And there's hope. There's hope 
you know. But I want you to consider, seriously consider, where your priorities are. How good of a steward, how, 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 good of a steward you are with your money. And remember that the Lord's work is far more important than any other work that is done on this earth. I did a Bible study last night. We were talking about Jesus. And we were talking about the power of Jesus one of the comments that was made is that Jesus is the most debated figure on this earth. And that is true. Jesus is the most popular figure on this earth. Think about it. Think about it. Even the atheists who don't believe in Jesus as a son of God, even they count their days by His death on a calendar. Think about that. It's year 2007. Think about what that means. There's no work more important than that of the Lord's work. I was blessed, and I've said this over and over, but I was blessed to go to the Philippines with Bobby Cannon and a few others. And those people didn't have two pennies to rub together. But one thing those people did have is what I wish we would get back to. And I can't explain it, but I can read it in Acts chapter 2. When I say this, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. Because they had believed. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, I'm not saying we have to do that today. We live in a different time. But notice what they said in verse 46. And day by day, continuing with, when, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We want to grow. Our priorities have to be in line. And we have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And that includes being good stewards of our money.